ladies and gentlemen, this match is the best two out of three falls for the United States Heavyweight Championship. When a man is pinned, we will hear the bell and have a 30-second rest period before the next fall. The first man to score two pinfalls will win the match. Introducing first the challenger in the corner to my right from Virginia Beach, Virginia. 245 pounds, Megum T.A. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the United States Heavyweight Champion. He is accompanied by Ivan Kolov. He's in at 137 kilos, the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Kolov. Two out of three balls. Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the payoff it's time for a best of seven edition of the payoff this is tom healing as always i am joined by my co-host jeffrey ryan jeff how the hell are you doing today best of seven series and we're using all seven my friend this one's going to be excited uh, yeah just like the world series so that'll be fun so i was gonna say we got a best of seven we got a two out of three falls match it's chaos today here on the payoff ladies all and kinds gentlemen. of wrestling so uh exciting stuff uh, excited to have our guest magnum ta here as well too but before we get into that so make sure to subscribe to the payoff give us those five stars spread the word about the show always good to see people still writing reviews for us we, tom and i like to see that star count ticking up all that good stuff so make sure to leave us those reviews all that good stuff we appreciate it you can always find us on social media at payoff pod twitter instagram facebook we're always out there we're always interacting make sure to check us out and lastly patreon just that one tier payoff patreon.com bringing you all that extra stuff the after show our bonus episode big discussions a lot of pay-per-views and things heading up coming into the holidays and whatnot so make sure to check that out we always typically try and drop a a little bit of an episode. So Tom, uh, a couple of cool things, but I'm, I'm excited. I want to talk about this one if you can't tell. So uh, what do you got for us right away? Yeah. You know, here's what I like, Jeff, is like every episode's a little bit different for us and like our research different and how we, you know, kind of cover the match and cover what's going on. So it's always fun, right? But in some ways, I feel like there's two opposite types of shows that we have. One of them is... We're covering one of your all-time favorite matches. You've seen the match 20 times. You know everything that happened in the build-up. I mean, you don't even need to do research, right? Like WrestleMania six, you know how they got to WrestleMania six. You know the fallout. You know the players. You know Hogan. You know Warrior. And it's a blast for us to cover because we lived it. We love it. It's one of those matches why we're a wrestling fan. And I love those types of shows. And I love doing that. On the opposite side are these types of shows, Jeff, where I didn't know much about this. I mean, I've heard a little bit about it. I've heard, you know, the famous best of seven series and the feud and, but this is all new stuff. So yep. I like the fact that we're covering all brand new stuff and it's really fun. So again, this is one of those types of shows and it's going to be a lot of fun. 
quickly walk through our agenda for today, Jeff. Yeah. And for those that don't know, like Tom and I use like a shared document for kind of having our notes. So it's always fun when like you'll catch something or I'll catch something where like, Hey, Jeff should talk about this or Tom should talk about this. And even this morning we were not this morning, but the other day we were texting about, Hey, did you realize there was no contests? And we're like, I was like, yeah, I saw it in my notes and stuff. So we'll talk about that, but just kind of exciting stuff. What we find and hopefully our listeners don't even know too. So yeah, we're, I mean, we're discovering this stuff as we do our research. And so it's just a completely different show, but it's a lot of fun in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. So, but how it works, you know, you kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, but what we always see every week is we always got uh, that deep dive into a match every Monday. And we have those three parts, the build, the payoff, the aftermath, what happened before, what happened during, what happened after always bringing that to you every week, talking through those different things. When we have reviews, we share some reviews this week. We don't have a whole lot of reviews from the time because it just wasn't the case, but Tom and I will be sharing our payoff scores though, talking a little about our review of that. So, Tom, always fun, but why did you want to talk about this one? A few things. First of all, you know, and I said this the last time we had Magnum on this show, I don't know much about him, okay? So it's in the more that I watch of his stuff and the more that I learn about him and the more that we talk to him, I just become a bigger and bigger fan. And to me, this is like an all-time talent that didn't have the longevity in his career because of the accident. But this guy was great worker, badass, big, athletic, hell of a talker. I mean, he's as good as... Dusty and Flair and Austin, and I mean that. I hold them in that regard in terms of talent, both in the ring and on the mic and the look and just everything that makes a great pro wrestler a great pro wrestler. So more of him, yes. This feud, the fact it took place right before the accident, the fact he was doing his best work, the fact I've heard a lot about this feud, but especially the best of seven, but didn't know much about it. There's a lot of things here that I'm really excited to dig into. So no brainer for us to cover this one. And I'm super excited. What about you? Yeah, the best analogy I have was I think of the I think it was the lead singer of the Doors who has a quote where he talks about like he views himself as like this comet and everybody's looking at him and they're just like jaw dropped and gasp and then like once he's gone though like you know he'll never see anything like it again and, and just people can't forget him and I feel like that is the kind of situation that Magnum's in and I butchered that quote but the point of of all of it though is like that he burned so hot and so quickly and like it's terrible that you know what happened with his career and it getting cut short because like you said I mean he was ahead of his time like you know the I quit match it was just not done on that scale or level in a steel cage like it just wasn't a thing same with this like the best of seven series it wasn't something like people it might have happened in some house show circuits and things like that but to have this degree of just kind of notoriety and people acknowledging it it wasn't a thing and so I think that's why we have to give credit where credit is due and and you and I've talked about it on previous episodes of just like you got to respect some of these past kind of things that happened and understand that like while Magnum you know, his career was not this long, you know, decade long thing. In the brief time that he was in the ring, he gave us some things that have lasted 
outlasted him a long time. So. Well, that's what I was going to say that's interesting about this as opposed to some of the older stuff that we cover, Jeff, is I think his stuff, his promos, his in-ring work, just the way everything's presented, I think it holds up a lot better than some of the other quote-unquote classic stuff. Yep. No. And so that's why we kind of have these different conversations about, you know, there's a bunch of matches. So even if you can find any of these matches, check them out because they're absolutely worth it. So with that being said, though, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right. So here we are at the build. Follow me on this one. We've got a best of seven series between Nikita Koloff and Magnum T.A., Jeff's going to get into how we got to that point, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Then, after that best of seven series that actually had nine matches, again, Jeff will get into it, there was a two out of three falls match that took place September 13th, 1986. That's the match we're going to watch with Magnum TA. Why are we watching the two out of three falls match with him against Nikita Koloff? Because it's the best video we could find about these two. It is unbelievable how little digital stuff there is on this feud in terms of video that fans can actually watch. So we're going to cover the two out of three falls match, but we're going to cover the best of seven series, the entire feud. The other reason I think it's important to cover this match, it's one of his last matches. Again, September 13th, 1986 is when this two out of three falls match that we're going to watch with him happens. Then October 14th, 1986, just a month later, is when he got into the car accident. So just a wild time here. Now, the best of seven series, Jeff, is really interesting, and I know you're going to get more into it, but here's what I couldn't believe in my research, is the first five of these matches took place at various Great American Bash matches. So the Great American Bash in both 1986 and 1987 was actually a tour of stadium shows, okay? So they would have these super cards in football stadiums and some baseball stadiums. And so the first match in this best of seven series takes place on July 1st, 1986 at veteran stadium, which is where the Eagles and Phillies played back in the eighties. And so we'll talk more about that, but that was, there were only 10,000 fans there and, you know, relatively small gate. So we'll talk more about all the different arena shows and this whole, or the stadium shows and this whole tour, but just, kind of interesting, right? So that's what would kick off the best of seven series was one of these shows. And so a number of them took place during these. If you want to learn more about this 1986 Great American Bash tour, go on YouTube. It's Great American Bash Retrospective. It's done by Rasslin Ranton. And it's an 18 minute video that I found to be really interesting. But they bring up a great point too, Jeff, which is there's not a whole heck of a lot of video footage or even photos from these events. There was a VHS tape made. No one really has or has seen the digital copy or there's not much of it floating around on the internet. So it wasn't that long ago this took place. I mean, we are in the WrestleMania era. that We are in the closed circuit pay-per-view era, but just kind of odd that there's not a whole heck of a lot about this. So 
that's again how we kicked off this feud. You know, we won't get into the details of all the cards and all the gates like we typically do, but again, just wanted to share that with the fans because it's really, really interesting and something that I'm sure many people weren't aware of. So with that being said, from a storyline standpoint, Jeff, how did we get to this best of seven series and, and this iconic feud between them? Is this the new Tom McGee? It feels like it, right? It really does. Like, did it take place? Where's the footage, you know? Somebody's got it. It's in someone's basement. You know it is. So. And, I, and while you're talking, I can look it up. But the, there was a VHS tape. I don't know if it was from one of the cards or if it was a compilation of all the matches. I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up as you're talking about this. It'd be tough, especially multiple weekends, all that stuff. Like we'll have to tweet at Sam Roberts. I know he's a big tape trader or was a big tape trader. And so um, I have to talk to him, but so anyways, this Jeff, Jeff, there, Jeff, there's people listening to us that don't even know what tape trading is. That's fair. Yeah. And so there's a lot. So uh, yeah, we're dating ourselves, but anyways, so we have that, but so how did we get kind of to this feud and kind of what was happening? So we're April, 1986. Uh, I was a, a young pup, just barely two years old, not even two years old. You know, Magnum, he actually uh, had been feuding with Ivan Koloff, but then Ivan started saying that his nephew Nikita would become the United States heavyweight champion. So as we know, Magnum had the championship because uh, just previous to this, he had won the I Quit Steel Cage match the previous year uh, over Tully Blanchard. And so he was still the U.S. champ at this time. So definitely make sure, go back in our archives and listen to that episode if you haven't. It will help you kind of connect the dots and the lead into this one and kind of where we got to this point. So we get to the famous contract signing. As we know, uh, in the wrestling world, you have to televise a contract signing or I feel like it's not official. So what we have is that Magnum uh, will defend his title against Nikita that May. At the signing, which was kind of funny, uh, it was in just a small room sitting across the table like we're used to seeing. Magnum actually brought his mother while Nikita brought Ivan. So... What happened, though, is you have Nikita was insulting Magnum's mother, who was sitting next to him, during the signing, which then led to Magnum jumping across the table and attacking him. So Ivan and Nikita attacking Magnum while his mother screams, why are you doing this? But you can find this on YouTube. I did find it. It's a little grainy, but it, this is out there, actually. Uh, it's actually fun to watch how this just used to be. The line that set Magnum off was addressed to Magnum's mother, and it was how Russian women have more class than his mother. And so <laughs> this is now the second mother related storyline that we've had in the history of the payoff. So, you know, proving that, you know, of course, like almost every contract signing has to go wrong on some degree, something has to happen. We have Magnum jumping across the table to attack him. It was pretty well done. I will say too, Ivan and Nikita, they just, they look good. They had crisp white suits on, just looked like those evil Russian heel, like just, they played it up so well. And I'll talk about that in a sec. But so after this though, you have the president of the NWA, Bob Geigel. He actually issued a reprimand against Magnum TA. And this is just another promo uh, with them standing there. And Geigel saying that Magnum, his conduct was unbecoming of a champion and decided that 
the best way to deal with, or Magnum decided the best way to deal with, you know, him being told that he was not truly acting like a champion, yelled reprimand this and punched Geigel in the throat. And so it's, again, it's on YouTube. It's fun to watch. You got to search a little bit. It's grainy, like all this stuff. But one thing for those of you that can't find it, it's just funny because you have a very, very young mustachioed Tony Schiavone is on camera. He is one of the commentators that after they cut from the punch, it goes to him and someone else. And Shivani is the one that says, Magnum TA has a strong belief in his family, his mother, the country, everything. Really struck the blow against President Geigel. God, that's so good. His delivery wasn't the best. You know, at the time, you wouldn't have known the quote staged. And, you know, it wasn't, I say, not not real, but it wasn't. And so, but come on, that's so good. It's yeah. just enough over the top. And yeah. if I had to draw a modern day comparison, I'd say that some of the stuff Chris Jericho's saying and doing right now falls into that category where it's absurd, but you're like, yeah, that's pretty funny, right? Like, it's just good enough that it's. It's not too over the top, but it's also yep. not like too fake. I don't know. It's just like, it's perfect. I, I just, it strikes a good chord and it's like, you know, yep. wrestling should be a little bit goofy and a little over the top, but it also should be like, yeah, good. The guy likes his mom in America. I, I'm, I'm cheering for him on Sunday night, you know, right? It reminded me how good Tony is. Yes. He's been around. And I think that's something we could talk about it later, but I think it's something that him and JR both bring is they've got that institutional memory of wrestling. So, of course, because of all this, Magnum was stripped of the title and it became the best of seven series between Magnum and Nikita. So, some background on Nikita, though. He and Ivan and Crusher Khrushchev, yep, uh, were known as being just tough and brutal in the ring. Like the three of them were just just real badasses like true heels like really played it up and they were fully committed to their characters even to the point like some of the reports i was reading like nikita learned russian so that he could play up the character like again this was in that era too before the internet before you know cell phone photos that like if they hated each other, they hated each other. There wasn't, you didn't see them out getting coffee at Starbucks that later that day. Like they were never seen together. So with these guys though, they actually had the uh, match of the year runner up. It was against the road warriors actually in 1985. And Nikita had done a lot of tag matches, but his kind of one of his breakouts, if you will, or one of his first big matches was, I was actually against Ric Flair, great American bash, 1985. And this really, you know, the year before, it really put him in the spotlight. You know, one thing to note about all this was the best of seven series, and we've touched on a little bit, was that Great American Bash in 1985 was just like one event. You know, as we're accustomed to, it was in an arena, all this other. But the Great American Bash 1986, it was actually a tour. And so it stopped at about at least a dozen different cities of kind of like where they had these different things. So that's like when we say it's tough to find video, you're really trying to find, we'll talk about it shortly, but we'll boil down to nine matches because of some no contest. Plus you've got this additional two out of three, which we have it because WWE has it because it, you know, was contained. And so that's why it's very tough to find some of the stuff, but having some context of these guys now in between two, they were wrestling, you know, but also like this going along this doing that. 
And so that's something to keep in mind is just they have it. So this is why we got to this point though, was, you know, this being in the spotlight after the flare feud, kind of pushing Nikita to the top a little bit, Magnum and all the interactions he's had. That is how we got to these guys in the best of seven series. So Tom, cool build, but what else do you have? I got a couple things for you here. First of all, I found the Great American Bash 1986 VHS on Amazon. Okay. Is it everything? It's a compilation of matches from various shows. Okay. So we don't even know. It may not even be this seven. Well, so on the cover, we have Dusty and Flair, which Dusty wins the title towards the end of the tour. Big moment, biggest thing that happened. We've also got our guys, uh, Koloff and Magnum on the bottom left. And then the bottom right, it, gosh, it's tough to see. It looks like Ricky Morton doing a dive onto Arn Anderson off the top rope. So that's the VHS tape. And then it says exclusive footage from several bash uh, shows, uh, including Flair Hawk, Flair Rhodes, Warriors, Russians, Magnum TA vs. Jim Cornette, TA vs. Koloff at a brutal best of seven series, Rock and Roll Express versus the Andersons. Oh, I was right. That was the Andersons and uh, Rock and Roll. So compilation of it looks like the runtime's a little over two hours. So interesting. All right, that's the first thing I had for you. Ricky Morton taking bumps in 1986 and then also taking... In October of 2019. Through the stage in 2019. Yeah. I saw that this morning. So good, but anyways. So the other thing was, you know, you were asking me a little bit about the stadium tour. It starts off July 1st, 1986. They got 10,000 in Philly for a gate of 215,000, Okay. This, the first of the best of seven was at this show. What was interesting is every night they were flipping around the cards, mostly the same players. You had the Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Nikita Koloff, Magnum TA, Ric Flair, Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes, the Andersons, okay? But then they would change the matches and stipulations. So on this particular show, you had a bunkhouse match, an Indian death match, a taped fist match, a pole match, the best of seven match, and a steel cage match. As we go through some of the other shows there was a hair versus hair match there was a barbed wire ladder match at one point i thought brett hart invented the ladder match but potentially that's another thing that he's wrong about so yeah it's just fun walking through these rfk stadium in dc had 6300 liberty bull in memphis drew 1900 i mean so these weren't that well attended i don't know if they lost their ass on them or if they got like good rental deals but you know charlotte had twenty three thousand. it's just interesting to go through these and again i, I think it's fun to see some of the stipulations but the real highlight of this uh was towards the end as i'd mentioned dusty Rhodes defeats rick flair in a steel cage match for the title okay the nwa world title so just fun to look back at our boy magnum ta's in some different types of matches always towards the uh top of the card and that was it man great american bash 1986 and again they did it the following year and went all over the place so fun to look back at and i think we're ready to watch the match right is there anything else you have for us I'm curious too. I had to look up what a bunkhouse match was. And so pretty much it's anything goes, but they have to wear cowboy boots and jeans. Sure. Whatever. Interesting. Goes. Interesting. So bring it back. We're here for the match. 
you know, you covered it, but man, what a great angle. Like, let's not overthink it. All right. We got the mean Russian. We've got the, you know, Hey, I'm bringing in my young nephew to take you out. Just good stuff, man. Good basic stuff. A lot of this stuff, it just had like an element of being real. It's like that whole dusty roads getting taken out by the four horsemen. That attack felt real right? Like it wasn't, you don't have to overthink these things. Just make it basic, make it real. Don't insult the fans. Don't make it goofy. A little bit of a, I don't know, a shoot style, if you will, whatever you want to call it, but good storytelling. I love it. So if you want to watch the match with us, it's Magnum TA, Nikita Koloff. It's 9-13-86. 9-13-86. Easy to find on YouTube. It's a WWE upload, so it's good quality. It's easy to find. When we come back from break and you hear the ding, 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 we'll be ready for the match. So with that being said, it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right, we are here with Magnum TA, and we're about to watch you and Nikita Koloff. This match actually takes place after your best of seven. So first thing I want to ask you is, what do you remember about that best of seven entire series that you had with uh, the Koloffs and Nikita? Nikita was an amazing athlete. He was as intense of a heel as I was of a baby face. And whenever he and I got together in all these matches, they were so intense. They were so explosive. The fans were, were just livid because, they, you know, we'd really played off the Cold War and the Russians and the whole, the whole deal, you know, USA and the Russians. And, of course, he always had, you know, Hyman there in his corner. And it was just uh, some – some very intense moments that we had throughout this whole series. And they had me down three to nothing to start the thing off. So, of course, I was fighting my way from the, the bottom up all the way through that whole series. So this was you know, towards the end of your wrestling career. What was the last match you ever had? Last match you ever had was the program I was working with Jimmy Garvin. It was uh, October 14th, 1986. So a couple months after this match here. And, uh, Nikita was, you know, getting ready to go off in, in programs with somebody else for the, uh, the U.S. title. I was running off in another direction with uh, Jimmy Garvin in preparation for going back after Ric Flair for the world's title. So everything was kind of uh, the pieces of the puzzle were all in place, and Nikita was just red hot. I mean, look at him there. He's like 290 pounds. He's in great shape. The people in there just wanted to kill him. And, uh, you know, he couldn't have been set up any better, you know, any way you turned it. He was a top heel at the time. So this was September of 86. Do you think you would have ended up with a world title soon after this? And if so, when do you think that would have been? I think it would have probably been, you know, I don't know whether we would have done it in Starcade or we would have done it in a house show. You know, maybe back then the world's title changed hands in house shows and uh, it wasn't even a pay-per-view event. So there's no telling. Uh, Rick and I, had, when we very first went on the super station, they used Rick and I to be the flagship for the product. As we went all around the country, Rick and I wrestled for the world's heavyweight title every night in every major city in the United States and did an hour. So, you know, we had already, you know, given them a forecast of what we were capable of doing. 
And now after having gone through the program I'd had with Tully and then Nikita, you know, that was the next move. And just to tell fans they're listening, how many nights in a row did you work Flair and how long were those matches? When we first were on the Superstation and took it coast to coast, he and I wrestled 19 times in one month to an hour draw. Uh, they called it a Broadway back then, and it was epic. Sometimes it was outdoors. One time it was in Three Rivers Stadium, and about 30 minutes into the match, it started raining. The people didn't move. They just stood up and they put their chairs over their head, so it wouldn't be too much. Then it started lightning, and the wind started blowing. It actually started hailing, and at the 58-minute mark, it was hailing so hard. It was like there was marbles all in the ring. Flair threw me over the top rope to get himself DQ'd because he couldn't stand up. I mean, we, we, had, we had some classic moments, and uh, he was just, you know, the ultimate champion. But believe it or not, you know, Rick's 10 years older than me, so I was 27. He was 37. And at the time, they looked at 37 as being too old to be representing the company as the world's heavyweight champion. So they were looking for the youth movement. They had this vision of him as remaining and being involved, but looking at him like the Jack Nicholas. I remember that that exact word. They wanted him to be like the Jack Nicholas of wrestling, the Golden Bear, you know, have him around and and all these things. You know, they inevitably had the plan gone as they foresaw it and had they put the title on me and not wanted to put it back on Rick. I have no doubt he would have gone to New York so fast. It would have made all of our heads spin. But because uh, obviously Rick had way more gas left in the tank at 37. Uh, he was just getting warmed up. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. and, and can you imagine, what do you think someone would have said if Flair looked at them at that time and said, hey, in 2008 at WrestleMania 24, I'm going to steal the show. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, who knows? I mean, it just is really hard to tell because, frankly, the whole wrestling landscape changed, pivoted off the accident that I had in 86. There was no plan B. <laughs> there was Magnum was going to do this, and this is how we're going. This is our guy. And they didn't have a plan B. And so when this unceremoniously happens to me out of the blue, this freak accident, and, you know, they don't know if I'm going to live at first, much less, you know, know that I'm not going to be able to come back and, and wrestle. They went into panic mode because they were doing stellar business. And now they want to top all the talent in the world. And now they bring in the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering and Sting and Alex Luger and all these guys and give them these guarantees that are just crazy. And it changed the way they were doing business because we weren't doing business like that when we were on fire. We had guarantees. We didn't have great, big, huge salaries. So we had these opportunities that you could make huge money. The sky was the limit, but you didn't have mailbox money coming every two weeks. It was just X, whatever that's going to be, no matter how big that is. And it changed the way wrestling business was done. So is this – this is obviously after the best of seven series, but was this the first best of seven series that you were aware of in wrestling? I believe it was. And it all stemmed off, you know, Dusty's love of basketball and them talking about, you know, the basketball tournaments and all those things. And it spun off of that. And Nikita and I had, you know, got this thing so crazy and out of control that it was, uh, 
I had actually been stripped of the title going into the best of seven series. So it wasn't that I was defending throughout the series. It was whoever won the best of seven would be the U.S. champion because Bob Geigel, the president of the NWA, took great offense to me punching him in the nose and, uh, and had taken, stripped me of the title for conduct on becoming a champion. <laughs> so. Well, one thing I want to ask you about the accident, it, tell fans how important it was that you were in great physical shape at the time. I mean, how big of a difference did that make? Well, I probably wouldn't have survived because I was – the only thing that wasn't paralyzed on me from the accident was my neck. I broke my neck at C5, and I couldn't move anything from my shoulders down. But my traps in my neck still supported my head with this C5 vertebrae that had actually exploded in my spinal canal. So when they went in and were able to do the decompression, I still had some physical strength and structure there in my neck that I had like a 20-inch neck. And it was, you know, undoubtedly protected me, even though the the vertebrae were shattered and the nerves were lacerated and everything else. It didn't kill me, even though the odds of that were pretty high at that exact moment. Well, tell fans about the documentary that you did that's available uh, for everyone on High Spots. And I mean, there's the scene where you go back to the accident, which to me was gut-wrenching. I mean, it was very emotional. Tell us about the documentary, and I guess one thing that would really surprise fans that's in there. Well, the documentary surprised me because they had footage in there. The documentary was done just a couple years ago, and for you that don't know, Dusty passed away on my birthday, and you know, of all things, and you know, losing him was like losing a brother. And when they did this documentary, we spent hours and hours and hours them asking me questions and filming him, as you said, going back to the scene of the accident, which at the time it happened was a two-lane road, and now it's a big four-lane road, and, you know, the landscape's totally different. But when I started watching this video for the first time, they had footage of Dusty in there talking about me, or he'd been interviewed about my career and where I would have gone in the business, and, and it just and it just took my breath. Because, you know, I just, I didn't even know they were able to get that kind of footage of him. And I don't even know where they got it. But it was just uh, really, really special. You know, obviously, some of the challenges that you've had have been well documented. What can people learn from you that would be helpful to them? What's a big takeaway from the life that you've lived? The thing of it is, is we all have adversities in life. It doesn't matter, you know whether they're played out on a grand stage or they're in the confines of your work and your family or their physical ailments you've got. It's so ironic that, you know, this I quit match that, you know, I had with Tully has been something that's been so memorable because the not quitting mentality in life is just so paramount in my whole life story. I heard a guy say one time, the proof's in the pudding. And you can talk the talk all you want, but until you've had to really put that into practice on the grand scale, it's hard to get people to listen to you. When I first had had the wreck, it had been a couple of years, and I, I sat and, and talked to this lady named Lois Delahaba about my life story, and, and I was telling her 
about where I'd come from and what, how I'd gotten to wrestling and how I'd trained and built myself up to do this stuff and, and, you know, what had happened to me. And she was fascinated with everything I was saying, but it was almost like it hadn't yet that she was really buying. Was I really going to be able to put all this into application over the long haul? And I can tell you now that it's been 30 years and I'm a dad of uh, seven kids and been blessed to be able to be in a totally different profession that has nothing to do with wrestling that I've been able to provide for my family and not have to be a burden on society. And uh, there is no obstacle too great. I watched the ESPYs last night and watched the football coach with no arms and no legs that, uh, you know, was so inspiring to listen to. And no matter what challenge you've got, there's always somebody out there with a greater challenge. So there's always people to be heroes for you and help you overcome and drive on and, and not give up and not quit. You know, and I want to be that kind of example, maybe not in front of a million people like I used to wrestle in front of, but in my everyday life and the people I come in contact with, I try to, uh, you know, show them a good attitude and show them you can still be productive and in a viable part of society, no matter what uh, hand you've been dealt. I want to ask you something. It's a little bit difficult to ask, but without naming any names, but we see these wrestlers who have a 20 year career, they're healthy. They never have a serious accident like you. And then they still have no money and they're crying poor and they're complaining and they want people to feel bad for them. I mean, is there any part of you that just gets pissed off when you see that and resent it a little bit because of the challenge you had and the accident you had? No, actually, I feel sorry for them because they've been set up for failure a lot of times because, you know, guys that have never done anything else and have lived, you know, vicariously in this, you know, make-believe world that, you know, and been somebody and done something that's, you know, made them feel, you know, so special, they almost need to go through rehab and somebody and give them a life coach and show them, you know, how to apply skill sets that they've never applied. And, you know, I don't know whether, you know, WWE does things like that for them at the Performance Center and tries to help guys have, you know, life paths and careers because, you know, honestly, nobody can be, no matter how great a superstar you are, you're not going to be able to do it but X number of years. And if you're not The Rock or, you know, or Steve Austin or someone that's made millions of dollars and been able to, you know, get residual monies and things that will work for you for the rest of your life, then you're going to have to find some way to be productive in society. And most likely it's not going to be nearly as satisfying as what you did when you were the showcased in the center of that square circle. And it is tough. I mean, I watching these things and, and whatnot, and, you know, I'm thankful to be remembered at 27 and in the best shape of my life and not have to be, somebody embarrassed that I put on a set of tights and went out there way past my prom to try to relive my glory days. But I do, I feel bad for a lot of those guys. It's a sad situation. A lot of them have gotten hooked on a lifestyle that's uh, to get out of emotional pain that's caused them problems. Half my cohort, my friends from back in that day are, have passed away before 45 years old. So, you know, I'm thankful not to be one of those statistics. My family's everything to me, and I wouldn't have any of them had I been able to, uh, you know, do all the things that, you know, everybody says, you know, I would have, should have, could have uh, done in that ring. I'm thankful for that. 
Well, I'd say there's a very high percentage of people that would have gone down a far different path than you have following the accident. And you should be really damn proud of yourself for that. Oh, man, I'll tell you. So, you know, you brought up family. You have a stepdaughter that's involved in the business. Tell us about her and uh, what she's up to and what do you think her future entails? So, so Tessa, so I have a blended family. I, I married Tully Blanchard's ex-wife. When she and I married, I had a son from a previous marriage and I helped raise Tully's and her kids. There were one, three, five, and seven, raised all of them. And then Courtney and I have two twins together. They're now 11, Tucker and Lucy. And Tessa went with her dad to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple of years back. And the itch, the bug, bit her while she was there. And all the grandeur of WrestleMania and you know seeing the production and whatnot, she got the bug. And it took. And she, unbeknownst to her mom or I or, or tell either one had gone to George South's wrestling school for six months and been training before any of us even knew she was training. And one day she called, George called us up and had me come down to watch her to see what I thought. And I, she had been working really hard, but she had never done like competitive, any kind of sports things in school or anything. She was always interested in drama, things like that. But she was, athletic. She just hadn't done those things. So to see her in that light was shocking to me at first, but I could see the burning desire that she had. And I can also, when I saw her in that ring, see that she had that charisma, that it factor that you can't buy. You can't teach somebody. So I tried to give her some words of encouragement that she's hung on to because her motto now is to become undeniable. And I told her, I said, you're not the best I've ever seen in this ring. You're not that good, but you have the it factor. I said, you're going to have to become so undeniable that they won't be able to help but use you. And that's what she's done. Yeah, I looked up some of her stuff and I've seen some of it. I mean, she's fantastic and she's got a very, very bright future and obviously has some good mentors in the business. So tell fans about the build up to this match. I mean, some of the things that you did were unbelievable. You got your mother involved in the storyline at one point. Is that correct? Well, that's what spurred, that's what got this whole thing gone crazy. So Dusty decided that it would be really cool to have my mom be there at the signing of the U.S. title match that I was having, the first one that I was going to have with Nikita. <laughs> and at the signing, unbeknownst to my mom, Nikita and I were going to get in an altercation. And he was going to insult my mom, and I was going to dive over the table and get this big fight. But my mom wasn't smartened up to any of this. And it's on YouTube. You can watch it. It's uh, crazy. But her reaction – is like priceless and she did not know what to do because literally we're all like looking all professional and sitting at this this office table this big long table and next thing you know i have dove over the top of it i'm all over nikita and then both of them are stomping on me and it was just a melee and that's what you know set this whole thing up for me to go have to go see bob geigel about the fact that i had you know gone crazy during this press conference and then the rest is history. I ended up, you know, giving him a little love tap and he didn't like it. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's funny, as we were watching a, a previous match, 
if you watch it on mute, you sometimes wonder if you're the heel. You know, at the end of the match here, you push the ref, you take the title that you didn't actually win, yet the fans are going crazy. You walk out into the crowd, which, you know, you see that a lot more now. But again, was there anyone else at the time that was working this, I don't know, badass, good guy shtick that you had? No, there wasn't. And they had allowed me to develop this character the way I felt most comfortable. And it was just, you know, I grew up during the era with John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson and tough guy, good guys, not, you know, these little manzy pansy, cute, you know, fly around people. I had come from that old school. So that's the people that had, you know, been, you know, the old rough, tough, Cowboys were the guys that I had admired as a kid. So when I get to live out my life as a, you know, superhero, so to speak, that was something I acquiesced to really naturally when I got comfortable enough in my skin to be able to do all the mechanical things I need to do. That persona just came out of me like a, you know, just the most natural thing I'd ever done. So as we wrap this up, and it was a, a great conclusion to a fantastic feud, you had the seven matches, which again, had never been done before and surprisingly isn't done often now, but when it is, it works well. Uh, it's a great, great idea. I want to ask you, how do you want fans to remember you, both as a performer and as a person? Well, first of all, you know, I always believed and was told to believe from the time I was a small kid that if you could dream it and believe it and were willing to do the work, that there was nothing that you couldn't achieve. And I'm the living epitome of that from the kid in the eighth grade in school. I couldn't do up one push-up in my phys ed class to being a senior and pinning everybody in the state tournament, and I could do 100 push-ups. And then from 1977 to 1985, transforming myself yet again and wrestling the world's heavyweight champion to an hour draw and a sellout crowd in my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia. I mean, things like that are stuff of storybook. And, you know, Hollywood scripts don't come out like that. Yet all that happened to me in a relatively short period of time, only to have it all just whisked away in the blink of an eye. And still throughout all that, being given a second chance to implement the same work ethic, the same dedication, the same principles uh, in my life in a whole different way and put my priorities and efforts into other avenues that have been not as rewarding on a grand scale, yet I've touched a lot of people that have seen me in the I quit match of life that I didn't quit and I didn't give up and I didn't fall into my pity pot and woe is me and uh, you know, I got an unfair shake and show them that, yeah, you know, we all get tough things thrown at us. And it's not the thing. It's how we let it affect us. It's not that we get knocked down because we all get knocked down. It's how many times do you get up? It's not how many times you get knocked down. You always get up and you never quit. and You never stop trying. And that's the best that any of us can do. But you just can't give up. Well, this has been fascinating. You know, and I told you off the air, your career was over before I started watching wrestling. And so a lot of this stuff I'm just learning now and it's fascinating. And look, you were a fantastic performer, but I think you're a better person and you're someone that people can learn from and you've lived life the right way despite a really 
bad obstacle that happened. You know, I would recommend everyone buy the documentary. It's on high spots. It's fantastic. You'll learn a ton, especially for the younger folks. You probably don't know any of this. So it's great. Definitely look out for Magnum TA at the conventions he goes to and appearances he does. Uh, He's one of the friendly, good guys that'll sit there and shake your hand and, and have a conversation with you. And I know you'll really enjoy it. And is there any other way that fans can follow you, support you, or stay in touch with you? I've got an account on Instagram that that anybody can follow. I'm not really good on Twitter. I have a Twitter account, but I don't think I understand the world of Twitter quite as good as these young kids do. But, uh, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll at least uh, see the events and things that I've committed to that I'm, you know, going to in the upcoming months. I try to always make sure that I broadcast those things so uh, people that want to come out and reminisce about the old days get a chance. So. yeah, I don't have a website and podcasts and all those good things that a lot of my friends do, but uh, I still enjoy seeing the friends that are still in the game and uh, and hearing you know the good stories that folks talk about going with their grandpas and going with their mom and dads, and then they bring in their kids and their kids are kids kids are watching stuff in the WWE archives and it's just crazy. I don't know how many more times in my life. I'll get to talk about that I quit match, but I suspect if a good Lord keeps me around long enough, it'll be a few more times. Well, I hope it's many more times. And I got to imagine for someone like you, it's surreal when a teenager walks up to you and wants to talk to you about the I quit match. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 60 years old and I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I've got boots in my closet that are twice as old as you. <laughs> it's just nuts. All right. Well, we will uh, make sure to post all your social media accounts and let fans know that they can stay in touch with you. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on the payoff. Thank you for making some time for the show and more importantly, the listeners. We all appreciate it. Thank you for everything. My pleasure, Tom. Oh, it's time for the aftermath. Welcome back. Uh, I want to start by once again thanking uh, Magnum TA for joining us. Just, just an awesome guest. <laughs> He's got so much insight. He's got so much, you know, like I said, just burns so bright and just his ring kind of knowledge is just great. So really always appreciate him spending some time chatting with us. And We're going to bring him back as much as possible. Just we'll, we'll talk to him about any wrestling match he wants to. So that's great stuff. So this whole, the series and, and the two out of three here, I thought this was just, it's all great. It's just really good wrestling. You really just can't beat like what he gave us. I think kind of watching, you know, the clips, kind of watching the two out of three, kind of hearing him talk about this stuff. It's just, they wanted to do, I just felt like, you know, they were going to go out and put the best show on every single night. And that's what we got. And so really enjoyed watching this stuff. Really enjoyed researching this too. We're going to talk a little bit more about it, but Tom, what'd you think about the payoff? Really good stuff. Uh, The matches were great. There was intensity. There was great storytelling. I just dug this, man. I think this interview we did with Magnum is one of, if not the best interviews we've done yet on the show. It was just great stuff, great answers, great stuff we covered. I mean, I just, I loved it, right? Good quality conversation. Uh, It was fun to talk about the feud and then just some more kind of global general things about his career. So I dug that. Also, Jeff, I dig the best of seven and and we can talk more about this on the after show, but why don't we get more of this? I can't figure it out. 
why don't we get more of this, you know, best of seven stuff? I like when there's something at stake. Okay. So rather than just, oh, we're going to have these guys wrestle four times, you know, over four weeks to kill TV time. Why not do this? I'm not saying you need a best of seven every couple months, but once a year, let's get a really good best of seven. You know, we had that Seamus and Cesaro thing. It made me care way more about those two than I otherwise would have ever cared, right? Because there was something at stake. It was presented a little bit different. It was fresh. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, we see the tournaments and stuff, but this best of seven stuff, and especially, you know, even if it doesn't go seven, it's still cool to see how it plays out. Absolutely. So we both dug it. Let's talk about storyline stuff that happened following this. Yeah, so a little bit after this and kind of what happened with the match, as you can see, you know, the what happened is that, you know, they had all of these matches, but then also kind of mixed in between while we say a best of seven series, I've said too, there was actually nine matches. Uh, if you kind of look it up, there was some no contests along the way. And so it kind of weird how that played out, which I mean, that's great. And I guess it works. Maybe that's a way to do it nowadays as well, too. But they had all these different matches, but then the final match it culminated. It was August 17th. Uh, it had some run-ins from Khrushchev, from Ivan, a lot of false finishes, near falls, all that different stuff. Just a great match. But, you know, Nikita ended up defeating TA to finally win the title. So the following month, uh, kind of focusing on Nikita, he defeated Wahoo McDaniel, who we've talked about as well on this show. He was the NWA national heavyweight champion at the time. And since Koloff beat him, they unified the titles. That was about a month later that September. Dusty Rhodes was actually the head booker at the time. And the plan was for Koloff and Magnum to actually reignite their feud after this, kind of get back into a, a little bit. What would happen is that TA would beat Ric Flair for the title. He had that title, uh, the NWA World Championship. And so he was going to beat him. And then afterwards, TA and Koloff would start getting into it really over the next year leading into Great American Bash to have that. So that was going to be the long program that Magnum would have had with the belt. And the two of them, you know, really it was a year out. Like just imagine they were talking about a build over the next year, which would have been incredible leading into this tour the next year. So for Great American Bash. But of course, sadly, as we know, and we talked about on our last episode and uh, talked about on this episode a little bit as well, too, that. You know, we know that Magnum TA was involved in his car accident and just none of this ever played out, which, you know, sad to see how that Cal came to an end, but interesting knowing how it could have played out because, you know, just what he gave us in these few short little bit of time was amazing. So I you know, can't imagine what we would have gotten otherwise. So, but because of, you know, that, that was kind of what happened with Magnum, but then as for Nikita and the heel Russians, they kind of, the world political sense, the evil Russian heel era was kind of coming to an end. And that what happened was Rhodes, you know, kind of having the foresight and kind of what was happening, decided to really strike when the iron was hot and decided that Koloff, it was time for him to become a face and actually become Dusty's ally against the four horsemen because he had been feuding with them. So this was actually that October, just, you know, barely two months after all of this played out uh, in the best of seven series and even the two out of three falls count that we had. Rhodes needing a tag partner against Arn Anderson and J.J. Dillon. Uh, it was in a cage match, 
And then coming out was Nikita Koloff entering the cage to help Rhodes. And so this actually established him as a face instead of a heel helping out a son of a plumber, Dusty Rhodes. And so I have all that. And so, you know, his career too had a long career, which we'll talk about a little bit more on a you know later episode and have all that. We'll kind of stop there for now. But, you know, just kind of cool stuff, especially seeing like some of these stories and the thought that was put into some of the longer builds and, you know, actually some thought given to uh, face and heel and, you know, not these long, are they, aren't they, we aren't sure, like all this different stuff that it was very dry here. Like, okay, that's it. We've got a face now. So Tom, how about your thoughts? Yeah, look, I know you said it, but I can't help but speculate on like what could have been. You know, you see how good this stuff is and it's like, all right, what if we got another year of it? What if we got more of this story? You know, another year or more years of Magnum and what he could have been. I just, it sucks. It's tragic, right? The groundwork was there for a few more years of great storytelling, right? I mean, you're talking about, you know, these guys all being in their prime, all doing great stuff. You know, the production uh, from a television standpoint is getting better. They're getting more visibility. The business is growing. I mean, you're talking about programming that could have got us into the 1990s and who knows what would have been, you know? I mean, I believe that if Magnum TA had not gotten hurt, had lived up to his full potential. I mean, you're looking at a megastar that I think would have changed the direction of that business. And I'm thinking like a Stone Cold Steve Austin of people tuned in to see this badass and the great stuff he was doing. Nothing against Ric Flair, but I don't think Flair's ever been that talent that has just drawn stupid money. I mean, I think the only two that ever really have would be Hogan and Austin, right? I mean, that have drawn like mega, mega, mega money and mattered to the bottom line of a promotion. There's those two and there's, I mean, The Rock never drew major money. Hulk. I said Hulk and Austin are the oh, only I'm two. I'm sorry. I thought yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you said Rock. All right, yeah. No, no, I said The Rock not didn't. The rock, and again, it. I'm yeah. not, I mean, look, I know Flair sold out a lot of shows. He's pop, but I'm saying like mega, mega dollars. You had Hogan, you had Austin. They're the only two. There's no one else that can touch those guys in terms of money making in the business. I think Magnum TA, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he could have been on that trajectory to be in that conversation. I yeah. really and I've never heard that before, read it before. It's just my observation given what we saw and what could have been. So, Jeff, I know we don't have a lot of write-ups on the feud, the match. the you know. I know that a lot of this took place not televised, and so we don't have the big traditional write-up. But is there anything else you want to cover, or do we want to just get into payoff scores? Do you want to go first? you want me to go first? What do you want to do here? Why don't you go first? I'll go first. I think that this is really a kind of a build. They really had two builds when you think about it to me that I think you had like the kind of promos that led into this that gave us the match. But then also on the flip side, you've got the matches themselves. And so, and you had seven, nine of them, however you want to look at it. And so it kept building and right out of the gate, you got Magnum down has to come back. And so it was a build on top of a build. And so, you know, I, we keep saying it, but you know, we're beating the horse at this point, but you know, what could have been in a day like today and to kind of have the backing that it has, but I gave Magnum a 10 last time because that match just, it's such a gold standard. I'm going to give this one an eight and a half. I think that it just, 
there's so much happening and even, and maybe we're, you know, we just don't get builds like this anymore. We don't, but you know, these kind of long and even like these kind of the promos that we see nowadays just aren't this and really building character and building all these different things. And yeah, you know, it's not the first time, you know, an authority figure's gotten punched in the face, but it did have stakes. And that's something that, you know, we don't see as much of anymore. And I think that's something I wish we had more of, but I think taking just the, the few matches that we were able to kind of watch throughout this, that, you know, the build inside of a build and kind of what it gave us. I think an 8.5, even closer to pushing nine on this one, just because of how long it was. I'll stick with the 8.5 though, because I just haven't seen enough of it. Uh, I want to see more, but that's what I'm going to go with. I think that's a fair assessment. It's so backwards because theoretically in any business or entertainment or anything, things should get better right? You should be on your iPhone right now and go, man, this is a lot better than it was 10 years ago. Why we watch this stuff and say, gosh, they don't build these matches like they used to. They don't have the realness element of the build like they used to. It's just amazing that in a lot of ways, I think the business was far better then than it is now. And I don't know. I watched Breaking Bad on Netflix, and I'm like, man, this is the best show of all time, right? I mean, entertainment TV shows are only getting better, yet somehow in a lot of ways wrestling, the in-ring dancing around choreographed spots are better and more exciting. I'll give you that. But this is better pro wrestling than 99.9% of what we've seen over the past 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. So, So with all that being said, you know, it's a little bit of a shot in the dark here. We're not watching all seven matches from the best of seven series. And I guess the two draws and then the two of three fall match. I'm not, you know, worried so much about the quality of the matches because we just don't know. And all we have is a few write-ups, you know, the payoff score is obviously what we think of just overall, overall, man, I'm going to give it a seven and a half but that might be light. Maybe I should be going higher, but I'm going to give it a seven and a half. And I think it's what's right about pro wrestling. I wish we had the ability to watch more of it, but it's great, solid stuff. What I love about it is it still holds up today. And that's one of the things I've said about Flair recently is go watch some of Ric Flair's promos from the eighties. It's still entertaining and relevant and better than anything you see now. It's amazing. Jet flying. Yeah. So I say that and it's just, this stuff is still awesome to this day. It's great stuff. Seven and a half for me. Again, if I had everything in front of me and could watch it, I might feel higher, but that's what I'm going to give it. That's all I have, man. Fun show, fun conversations, great interview. Nothing else for me. What about you? Yeah, uh, you know, just really good stuff all around. There's no other way to look at it. So I will say again, as we said it after the payoff or after our interview, you know, thank you to Magnum TA. Uh, you can find him on social media. I, I know he had some engagement uh, last time. So it was really great to see that. But he is at the real Magnum TA. And so make sure to find him on Twitter, tweet at him. We will definitely do the same, but great to see uh, kind of that interaction and him, uh, you know, being out there and doing that. Of course, too, we plugged it on our last show. We want to make sure to plug it this well, uh, this time as well, too. 
make sure to find his I say, movie, DVD, documentary, whatever you want to call it. It's the I Never Quit the Magnum TA story. You can find it pretty easy online. So just make sure to Google that one. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time. Definitely worth the watch. Uh, one that we kind of watched as well too, kind of prepping for this and getting all that together. So Lastly, just like we start the show, I like to end the show with those reminders. Subscribe to the payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show. We're always on that social media at Payoff Pod, and then just that one Patreon tier, PayoffPatreon.com. Check it out for all that bonus content. So, Tom, with that, we don't have to go, you know, rock paper scissor, best of seven or anything. I'll just kind of let you take this one and send us home. All right, as always, thank you for joining us on. Wait for it, Jeff. Wait for it. Come on. The payoff.